This is the Motion Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like more information about Motion Church, you can always visit our website at motionchurch.com. If you'd like to contribute to what God is doing here at Motion, you can do that at motionchurch.com forward slash give. We hope you enjoyed today's message. All right, what's up, everybody? All right, listen, I'm not going to try to gas you up, but that was way better than the first experience. And listen, I love the first experience. They're wonderful people, I'm sure. But man, it's like pulling teeth sometimes. I think it's early. Nobody likes to get up early and do all that stuff. Um, So I'm so glad you guys are here. Like, I'm just, I'm going to leave it at that. That way you don't go tell them anything I said about them. And some of y'all were in both, so I'm talking about you too. So... Uh, hey, we're kicking off a new series today called Tis the Season. How many of you are lovers of all things Christmas? Yes. How many of you are like, it's a holiday, we celebrate it, it's a thing, right? It's kind of, the few, uh, wow, okay. And ha- some of you have no response. Because um, I saw some of you, your hands didn't go up. Uh, so I feel, like, I feel like there's generally a good mix. And, and so here's where I'm at. I'm, I'm more on the um, Christmas weekend celebration. Like, I'm all for it the week of it, right? It's great. Shelly's like, the year of Christmas is a good time to celebrate. That's kind of where she lives. Uh, so there's a little bit of tension in our house as far as when everything happens. And uh, as you know, I make all of the important decisions. In... <laughs> right? I heard, a, I heard a guy say one time, he's like, I make all of the important decisions in our family, like where we're going to eat dinner and stuff. And then, you know, the wife makes the unimportant decisions like where we live and where the kids go to school and those sorts of things. Uh, so... The season of Christmas is, is there's a, this is what happens with Christmas. There are a lot of words that are thrown out that are used regularly, and with good reason. There are things that Christmas is about that kind of gets reiterated year after year after year, and that's a good thing. For example, you know, for ex- the, the best things to, to think about would be joy, hope, peace. One of the, if you've got any kind of Christmas decor or things that celebrate, you know, some of the verses, Isaiah chapter 9 uh, it talks about, you know, the, the, he's the wonderful counselor, everlasting father, uh, prince of peace, right? So, so we see some of these words, these recurring words over and over. And so what I'm going to do in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to take some of these words that are, have very specific Christmas connections and connotations, but we're also going to look at how they're, they're more than just for this season. And so that's kind of the idea, tis the season, is always the season is kind of the, the kind of the idea. So what we're going to do is look at some of these very Christmassy words and see how, you know, not only are they relevant now in this season that we're in, but also how we can continue to foster them beyond the Yuletide season. Not even sure what that is. Actually, I am. It's, it's taken from like a Germanic thing. So not that anybody cares. Uh, so that's what we're going to look at in the series. We're going to start today by doing a little bit of a trivia. How many of you guys like some of the, the music trivia stuff? Uh, there's a lot of TV shows that, that are kind of related, like The Masked Singer, I guess, and to some degree is not really trivia, but it's like who's singing the song, right? So there's, there's things that take place as far as music and, and trivia. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a different approach. I'm going to say the first line of a song, and then you guys, I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to say it. I'm gonna, that's for you. It's a blessing. Um, and then you can either say or sing the second line of the song. Uh, and I'm also not going to sing it because my voice is like almost almost gone gone like it's I'm probably gonna crack at some point um probably gonna cough at some point so just if that offends you there's another church in town that's for you 
Like, it's going to happen, right? If you're looking for perfection, maybe this ain't it. Uh, so, first line of the song is, joy to the world. Keep going. It's very good. Okay, I didn't, okay, 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 okay. It's good. That is very good, because the next line, so let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing, right? And so to what we're going to talk about today is joy. Let's talk about how tis the season for joy. Obviously, the Christmas season is, is very centered on, focused on, and reflective of the joy that Jesus came to the earth to bring. And so when we celebrate, when we celebrate Christmas, what we're celebrating is that God had a plan for us to bring us back to him, and that creates joy. God sent his son to the earth, and, and kind of in thinking of that, like Jesus coming to the earth was the, the most personal plan, most personal resolution to the problem of sin. God could have solved the problem of sin in any number of ways. What he chose to do instead was to send us Jesus in the form of a human so that we could never say that God doesn't understand me, right? Jesus, who was like us, who suffered like we did, who experienced all of the human emotions and all of the human conditions fully, so, so he understands us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. We, we couldn't ever distance ourselves from God because of what Jesus coming to the earth fulfilled and ultimately made possible for us. And so we celebrate that. That brings great joy that God would do that for us and give us this opportunity to, to have salvation and to, to accept the peace that he brings. But I think what we do so often is, and I'm guilty of this, maybe you're not, like when we hear something so often, we just kind of accept it as, as fact and we think we know without ever really having thought through exactly what it means. Has anybody else ever done anything like that? Right, and so a lot of times we just the more you hear things, and then you know, especially if you have people who are, are authoritative or experts in a field, and they say something, we just accept it as fact. Um, so what we're going to do instead is we're going to question everything. No, I'm just kidding. What we're going to do is we're going to let's make sure we know what joy is before we say joy to the world. Well, what exactly is joy? And so that's where we're going to start today. Why, why is this? What is joy? And, and why? Is it so important that Jesus came to the earth to give us this joy, to make it available to us? I would venture to say, kind of thinking in terms of like defining joy, I, I don't think that the world is full of the joy that Jesus came to bring to the world. As, as This is just my limited view, my limited perspective, my observation of the world. As I look around, I, I see probably more of whatever the, the option or the, the opposites of joy are than I do of joy, my opinion. So if, if joy, let's say joy is, is kind of a positive emotion, right? Let's say it's, if, if you have a, a dividing line, a zero point, negative emotions would be anger, frustration, despair, uh, pessimism, any, any of those emotions are on this side, and joy would be happiness and, and you know, contentment and gratitude and these sorts of things, which when you just kind of scan the world that we live in, it seems to me that we see a lot more of this and a lot less of this. Generally speaking, if Jesus came to bring joy to the world, I think that there's some, some work to be done in that regard. So I, don't, I just don't believe that there's the amount of joy in the world that Jesus came to bring. And I'm not blaming him. I think it's our fault. 
I think that, that we are, a couple of things, a couple of thoughts on that. Again, these are probably big conversations that we'll try to, try to truncate and make, make very quick, right? So, so the first thing is that we do live in a sinful, broken, fallen world, and there will always be, because of sin that was brought into the world, the wages of sin is death. Because of that, there will always be adversaries of our joy, the, the joy. There will always be things working against our ability to, to fill the joy that Jesus came to bring. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't have joy. In fact, joy is the ability to, to have that positive disposition in spite of the sin that we experience, right, and, and the, the catastrophic effects of the sin in the world. Yeah. So that's the first thing. We live in a sinful, broken, fallen world. So there, were all, there will always be pain. There will always be suffering. There will always be, you know, the thing that causes us to ask the question why and, and those sorts of things. So that's one side of it. The other side of it is I don't think that we do a very good job of, of giving God the space, giving God the room. Think about the song, right? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Let heaven and nature sing. I don't believe that we do the best job of giving God the space to bring that joy into our lives that he desires to bring so that we could then exhibit the joy or, or essentially kind of the best way to understand this is overflow that joy into the world around us. And so I think that there is a lack of joy in the world because we don't do the best jobs of creating space for God to do what God desires to do. I've heard it said like this, a crowded heart leads to an empty life. And what I think we do so often is we crowd our hearts with anything and everything. We're in pursuit of all of these different things when really we're supposed to be making space for Jesus so that he can bring the joy into our hearts that he desires to bring. John chapter 15, verse 11, it says this. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. Like that's where he wants his joy to be. Where? In you. I was going for down in your heart, but it, Okay, joy, 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 down in, okay. That landed about as flat as it could possibly land. We'll try it again later. Doubtful. John chapter 15, verse 11. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So, so what we have here is Jesus telling us that he desires for, for his joy to be in us and he doesn't want us just to have a, a, a semblance of joy, a piece of joy, a part of joy, but he wants us to have joy that is, is so full and so real that it actually overflows into our lives, our relationships, our families, our friendships, and our communities. That, that's the amount of joy and the kind of joy that Jesus desires for us to have. So as I read that, it kind of, it kind of causes me to ask a couple of, are you any why people in here? I had to be annoying growing up. Because, like, now, at least I have the wherewithal just to ask why in my head. But as a child, I'm sure that it was just, I was one of those kids that always asked why. Any, y'all got any of those? And now, God in his wonderful sense of humor has given me one that asks why all the time. And I'm just like, and I did what I said I would never do because I said so. I always said I wouldn't do it. And, and look at you now, right? So, to two questions that, that this verse makes me think about. The first one it's kind of more of a general question about joy. And then the second one is, is very personal and frankly offensive. So the first question is this. What exactly does Jesus mean when he says that he wants us to have joy, his joy in, in us, 
and then for that joy to then be full. What, what is joy? Can I get a definition? Can I have it used in a sentence? Can I have the language, the origin of the word, right? Can I, can I get some help here understanding any spelling bee fans? I almost won a spelling bee in the, I think it was in the fourth grade or fifth grade, and I, this is so embarrassing. I misspelled naughtiness. Not, so they tried to trick you with the homonyms, but it was not N-A-U-G-H-T-I-N-E-S-S. It was naughtiness as in like a knot in a wood, K-N-O-T-T-I-N-E-S-S. And I got that part right, but I couldn't remember if I added a T or took a T away. It was one or two, and I, I butchered I got like fifth place out of 100 people. I was killing it. Then I lost. First, first loser, right? Second place is first loser, that whole thing. I'm just kidding. Okay, so, so I, love, I love the idea of kind of let's break it down a little bit more. Let's understand it a little bit more fully and a little bit better. So what we did or what I did to help us to do that is, is you go to, you're probably familiar with this. If you're ever curious about kind of you want to do a deeper study into any particular word, there's a, a dictionary called the Strong's Concordance, Strong's Dictionary. What it takes is, for example, in the Old Testament, it takes the Hebrew words and it gives you the Hebrew word. Good morning. Good morning. Good Lord. Yeah. Um, anybody Siri tripping? Okay. So, so you can have... There's nothing to stop here. Check if the device is on your home Wi-Fi network. I don't know if that's mine. See, this is why technology is a blessing. It's an angel and a demon all in one. Like, it's, it's one of the most wonderful things, but also one of the most frustrating things. Strong's Concordance. Here we go. You can get kind of the Hebrew word, for example, in the Old Testament and get a, a more full understanding of it. You can get kind of some context around it and how it was used in the New Testament. You can get the Greek word. And so the Greek word, the Greek definition, I'm not going to give you the word because I always butcher those. But the definition of the Greek word for joy is this, joy. Like that was very helpful. Thank you for clearing that up. Because I struggled with that for a long time, and now I know. I see clearly now that you've given me. Just kidding. So, so it gives joy is, is one word that's used, and then gladness. And still not very helpful, as you know that you're not supposed to use the word that you're defining in the definition of the word that you're defining. Um, but they did. And so what I did is maybe I looked at it from a different perspective, and I think this was helpful. So I stole this from a commentary. So this is what we did. So we took the definition that wasn't tremendously helpful, and then we went to a commentary to try to get kind of a broader view, and then I reduced that back down to my own working definition. Are you guys good with that? So the, this is the, the passage from the commentary. It says this, the purpose of Jesus's provision of joy was to prepare his followers for the future. That's why he wanted us to be filled with his joy so that we would be prepared for the future. And it says, they did not need to fear what was before them, which means that it is not circumstantial. It doesn't change based on what we go through because the joy that he gives, the fullness of joy that he desires for us to experience, it doesn't, it doesn't fluctuate with the things that take place in our lives. And it says, they could rejoice that Jesus made every provision for them. He imparts joy. The same joy that Jesus had in his life of fruitful service, he wanted for his followers. So this is kind of the way that I reduce that down and, and kind of give, I give us, I believe, kind of a working definition of joy. My understanding of joy is this. It is essentially the ability to have a positive disposition in spite of what obstacles or adversity may arise in our lives. Now, I thought, I, was, I thought that was better than you guys did. Everybody was like, 
Oh, okay. I'm going to say it again and slower. My understanding, joy, this is the way that we're going to define it, is the ability to have a positive disposition, a positive outlook, a positive view, a positive approach in spite of what obstacles or adversity may arise in our lives. Now, a word, a thought on positivity. Now, this is not like the self-help, self-help nonsense, like um, not to be too harsh or crass, but, but crap, right? That's not what this is. But, but it is, like, again, kind of if there is a dividing line and you could have kind of a negative, pessimistic view on the way that the world works and, and what it is, or you could have a, a positive view. When Jesus says that I came so that you may have life and have it to the full, which of those two do you think that he wants us to live in and operate under, right? Probably the positive. When he says that I want you to be full of my joy, which of those two do you think that he desires for us to operate under, right? And so it's just this ability to have a positive outlook in spite of whatever may happen in our life. And so maybe it's, this is kind of an easier way to understand this. Maybe it's regardless of what happens in your life, regardless of the, the struggles that you face, the calamities that you experience, the things that, that happen to you that are out of your control, because those are usually the worst, right? When we have, we have an element of control, we feel at least like, you know, there, there's something salvageable about the situation. When it's out of our control, then that's when despair generally sets in. So, so when we, we understand that regardless of what takes place in our life, we have the ability to say, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Not, not that I'm okay necessarily right now, right? I still have me, and, and I'm dealing with all of this. And not that this is easy or not that this is, you know, a simple thing to endure, but it's going to be okay. It's, it's this, like, just holding on, like, as, as tightly as you can, as white-knuckled as you can, and believing that God is good and that God is going to work this thing out. And even if we lose, we win. Like, what is the, what is the worst thing that could happen to us? Death, right? Death, death is the worst thing that could possibly happen to a human. And then when you start to kind of contextualize all of this, you understand that, well, Jesus conquered sin and death. Oh, death, where is your sting? You don't have that control over me any longer because I serve the one who conquered sin and death. It, it gives us the ability to say, it's going to be okay. It's a positive disposition in spite of what obstacles or adversity may arise in our lives. Is that helpful? at all? I hope so. Good. So here's where it gets even more impactful. That There's a gift in this and that Jesus didn't just tell us about it. He showed it to us, right? I love, there, there's a lot of things that we get kind of a theoretical educational understanding of, and there are other things that we get taken to class, right? Where you get, when I was in college, like there were certain classes that you would go and you would sit and listen to somebody talk, and then there were some of them that were followed up with a lab. Y'all remember those? Do they still do that? I'm not sure. Like, I could, frankly, I, I could care less about rocks, but one of the most fascinating classes I had was geology. And it's because not only would we talk about it, then we would go look at it. I, like, I still remember what a mica schist is. Mica schist, right? It's a rock with the, it's got the certain shimmer to it. And you, the, the, the different ways that you break down rocks, and it's all because we would go and actually practice. We'd put into practice the things that we talked about. That's too much information. It is what it is. I read an article this week that says you're not supposed to tell people it is what it is. And it just makes me feel like I need to say it more often. 
just, I have a very strong, like, uh, like don't tell me what to do, son, right? There's just a lot of that. I got to be careful. So, so the gift is that Jesus didn't just talk about it, but he showed us what joy looked like. So, so as we celebrate Christmas, right, we're celebrating the birth of Christ. So we see joy in the beginning, but then we also get to, through his life, through his adversity, through his struggles, we get to see joy from the beginning all the way to the end. And that gives us the ability to understand that, that, that the joy of the Lord really, truly can be our strength if we allow it to. It makes me think about Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus. As, as I read that, it kind of like, as a kind of almost a cross-reference, I come back to that song where it's like, let every heart prepare him room. Like, as I fix my eyes on him, I center my life around him. I give him the highest place, position of authority in my life, if you want to reduce it down to like, you know, just the, the, the most simple explanation, nothing else matters but Jesus, right? Once I get that right, if I seek first the kingdom of heaven, then everything else will work itself out. So fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, beginning to end, right? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, so, so as we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the joy that came at the beginning as, as, you know, again, God's plan was introduced, but Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus, again, from beginning to end, in spite of the adversity that he went through, he experienced, he demonstrated this joy, this positive disposition in spite of the adversity that he faced. And, and he invites us to do the same. He desires to give us the ability to do the same. We just kind of got to make some room for him to do that. So hopefully that at least partially answers the first question about, about what joy is. Now let's get personal and let's get offensive. I'm not, I'm, I'm not being too exaggerative when I say like, even as I was writing this question out, I was like, I don't really want to answer that question. Y'all ever do anything like that? Okay. Like, not answering my questions when I ask you? All right, so as we, we read this verse, it says, These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. So I read that, and then the question that comes to mind is, like, is my joy full? Am I am I?" feeling or experiencing the fullness of joy that Jesus said that he wants me to have. And I would say for myself, not always, right? Not all the time, maybe sometimes, but not, not all of the time. So, so maybe a better way to frame this is like, do I view every circumstance in life through the lens of seeing what Jesus has done for me? So I'm, I'm viewing everything. I'm, I'm starting here with, with kind of this perspective that first and foremost, look at what God has done for me, look at, look at what God has made available to me, and then I size my situation up against that, right? Once, if that's my reference point, if that's my starting point, then anything that really happens, is, it's significant, it matters, right? And, and not to downplay anything that anyone goes through, but in light of what Jesus has done for us, what he's made available to us, is it, like, I think about the passage in, is it Romans chapter 8, where I consider this current affliction, it's, it's light compared to what it is that, that I'm, I'm heading towards, right? And, and how many times have you done that in your life, if you're very honest, right? You're going through something, and, 
and in your mind, it's just the hardest thing you've ever done, and you get to the other side, and you're like, I may have blown that one out of proportion a little bit. Right? Anybody else? And the rest of you are liars, right? No, I'm just kidding. Hey, that's offensive. Uh, that's a fact. So, so, or, so, so we can start with that as our reference point, that, that this is what God has done for me, and that's where I start, and everything that happens to me, everything that I have to go through, it kind of pales in comparison. Or do you start with the thing? Do you start with the emotion? Do you start with the feeling? Do you start with the panic? Do you start with the frustration? Do you start, do you start with the fear? And, and what happens is we, get, we allow those things to work us into a frenzy, and then it's very hard for us to have perspective. We kind of start to minimize what Jesus has done for us when we, we it's the, the old expression, you know, we make mountains out of molehills. I mean, again, you're, yes, you are going through something, and nobody is denying that. But is that thing bigger than the thing that Jesus has done for you? Is that thing, is it something that trumps or supersedes the love that God has for you? I think about, again, kind of Romans chapter 8. It's like, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. There's not anything, not height, nor depth, nor angel, nor demon, nor any other thing that's been created that could separate us from the love of God. And yet what we do so often is we kind of elevate the thing and, and we minimize what God has done for us. I think that we all, ha we all essentially have one response, but it has two very different meanings. And that response is, oh God, oh God. And, and, and that could be one of two things. It could be exactly what you think it is. Like something happens and man, we are freaking out and we're like, oh God, what are you doing? Oh God, why did you allow this to happen? Oh God, where are you at? I can't believe you're going to leave me out here suffering all by myself. Anybody else? Y'all have, have never said these things and you've never asked God these questions. I understand, but I have. So, so that's, that's one way that this could play out. You, you do the oh God thing and you play the victim. Or, or it could be, oh God, maker of the heavens and the earth, giver of life, keeper of the stars, framer of the world, the one who told the seas you can come this far and no further. Oh God, I'm going through some stuff. You're a lot bigger than the things that I'm going through. Oh God, I just want to take a minute to worship you, to celebrate you, to enjoy your presence and the joy that you've made available to me. And, and I know that you know that I'm going through some things and I know that you're going to carry me because you always have. As I look back over the course of my life and I see the way that you've provided and you've made provision and you've made available all of the resources that I need, I just want to say, oh God, I love you. And, and those are two very different things, right, with two very different outcomes. And, and I think what we do so often is we kind of do the, oh, God, what you doing? When we could really do the, oh, God, you are worthy of my worship regardless of what I go through. And so this is what makes the Christmas season so powerful. It's essentially, it's an annual reset, right? Every year we get to, I, I love this, this visualiz visualization if you're under 25, it probably makes no sense to you, but if you grew up anytime near the late 80s and early 90s, you remember what the Nintendo Entertainment System was all about? And sometimes you just got to reset, right? And it's just, let's, let's start over. Maybe, this is what's so cool about this. It, it is either one of two things. It is a reminder to start doing things that you should be doing, or it is an accelerant to keep you doing the things that you're currently doing. And as it relates to joy, it's like, hey, if, if you're not experiencing this joy, if you're not walking in this joy... 
maybe you could start. And if you are, boy, keep going. Girl, keep going, right? That's what is so impactful about this season of joy. But you know what's so good? Is that it's not limited to just Christmas time. The second point is that it's, it's or tis always the season for joy. It's always the season for joy. The, the joy that we experience during Christmas, it, it is not confined to this, the holiday season, right? It's not exclusive to this time of the year. So the joy that we experience during Christmas is a reminder of, of the eternal hope that we have as a result of what Jesus came and did for us. So in other words, kind of to make this, this very, very simple, joy doesn't have an expiration date. It doesn't have, it doesn't have a shelf life. It's like spam, Right? right? Spam never goes bad. It can't go bad if it was never good. It's always been gross, so it will always continue to be gross. Joy is good and will always continue to be good. It, it has an eternal shelf life. It kind of makes me think about the, 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 the fact or the idea that this is not limited to one time of the year. It makes me think about in Galatians chapter 5, where it gives us the list of these virtues that we are supposed to pursue and facilitate in our life. And I say facilitate because we talk often about how it's the fruit of the spirit. It's not your spirit. I'm sorry, it's not your fruit. It's his fruit. He just kind of shares it with you and you've got to foster and facilitate it. And so this is what we're told to do in Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23. It says this, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Shelly taught me, a, a, when I, I didn't start going to church till I was a senior in high school. And so I kind of had some catching up to do as far as all of the, uh, like the, the cool VBS songs. How many of you grew up going to VBS? And so y'all knew all the like, Father Abraham, and many sons, many sons have father. I didn't know any of that stuff. I knew teacher, teacher, floating down the Delaware, chewing on his underwear. Couldn't afford another pair 10 days later, eaten by a polar bear. That's how the polar bear died. That's what I, so I had some unlearning to do. And so Shelly helped me with some of these, uh, these vacation Bible school stories and songs. Uh, I just, I was, I was behind the eight ball a little bit, right? And so one of the songs that she taught me was the Fruit of the Spirit song. Fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut, right? So you understand love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then it says... It kind of finishes that idea up with, against such things, there is no law. So a couple of things. With some simple math, which is about all I can handle, it would tell me that since the giver of these gifts is eternal, right? The, the giver of the gifts is the Holy Spirit. They're the, the fruit of the Spirit. He's the one who gives them. And since he is eternal, it stands to reason that the gifts Hi are there. Stands to reason that the gifts are eternal. The gifts don't expire. The gifts don't run out. The gifts are also not conditional, right? And so as it relates to, to joy specifically, it is not conditional. It is not circumstantial. It transcends time and situation. And so that's the first thing that I think is really important to point out. And then the second thing is, so we get all of the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, right? So we get all of that, and then it says, against such things, there is no law. Now, that phrase kind of indicates that there isn't anything that can undo, 
There isn't anything that can override. There isn't anything that can make obsolete. There isn't anything that can make irrelevant the, the, the joy that God wants us to have. Again, it transcends all circumstances, all situations, and all seasons. It is not conditional. It is not circumstantial. It is elevated above anything that we could possibly face in life. So the joy of knowing Jesus, again, it transcends anything that we could experience, any circumstance that we could possibly go through, any feeling that we may have, because y'all know, boy, we get, we get deep in them feelings. Does anybody else do that? Y'all lie, because I know I'm not the only one. Sometimes I just get like I'm in my feelings for no reason at all. I'm the only one. That's terrific. That's, that's fantastic. Now I'm going to be even more in my feelings because I feel like I'm the only one who struggles with these things. And so, it, so our joy, the joy that Jesus came to make available to us and the, the one that he wants us to have so that it's full, it's greater even than our feelings. And so let's talk with, let, let's kind of wrap up with, so we've got tis the season for joy, tis always the season for joy, and let's, let's talk about joy applied. We're going to wrap up with this and, and how to actually put this into practice, how to experience or to walk in more of the joy. Because with let's, fra- let's face it, with a topic as potent and, and potentially maybe as difficult as joy, because I think that people kind of have kind of a natural disposition. Some of you are just tremendously optimistic and everything is awesome all of the time. How many of you would say that you kind of fall under that category? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, there's a few of it, your Enneagram 7s or one of the other personality tests calls you woo people. Woo. Just or like Ric Flair. Wow. Right. I can't do it right now. But um, frankly, you people bother me. So, so you guys are the ones that's just like everything is going to be fine and it's easy and it's good and it's awesome and all that. And I'm just like. No, I don't, because you see this is going on and this is taking place and you got to think about this and these are factors to consider. And so what's, what's really fascinating is those kind of people usually end up married to each other, right? And it just makes it really easy when you see the world completely differently, not hard making decisions about life at all, right? Um, so, so I think as hard as joy may be for some of us, just because like our natural disposition is not to have this, this terrifically optimistic or positive outlook on life. I think this is something that is really, really important. It's something for all of us. We just kind of have to find some ways to have more joy in our lives. And I've got two, two thoughts on this. One is really good preaching. One is really good biblical sound doctrine, good stuff. And the other one is just a personal preference. Is that okay? Now, but I think it's a, I think it's a personal preference that, that is rooted. It has a biblical foundation. We'll start with that one and then we'll get to the good stuff. So if you want to have more joy, if you want to have this, again, what we would say is joy applied, the first thing you can do is don't be a killjoy. <laughs> that seems so obvious. That, I was really anticipating a little bit better response, but we've got a bunch of killjoys in here, so that's okay. Don't, don't be a killjoy. Think about it like this. If, if you want, let's say your desire is to have more joy, you believe that Jesus said that he came for us to have joy, he wants his joy to be in us and our, our joy to be full, if that's what you're in pursuit of, doesn't it stand to reason that you shouldn't be crushing everybody else's joy? Because I don't know if you know this or not, but you will reap what you sow. 
And so what you're putting out is what you're going to get back. And if you're putting out the wrong stuff, you're going to get the wrong stuff back. You don't plant corn and get taters. Or tomatoes. Or tomatoes. Any of them, right? You get what you plant. You reap what you sow. And so if you want more joy in your life, maybe you could start being a little more joyful towards other people. Maybe a little positivity and encouragement towards other people would go go a really long way. Let, let me help you out with this one. There are things that you think in your head that you don't have to say with your mouth. Y'all, y'all been around some of these people. It's just like, you always got something to say, don't you? I got something to say to you. Shut up. And again, that's what I wouldn't say, but boy, I think it. I think it sometimes, right? Just, just stop. You don't have to say everything. You don't have to tell them all the negative, bitter, angry, frustrated things that you be thinking. Sometimes you can just shut up and let them have some joy and maybe, maybe even find a way to encourage them in a way that they're feeling and not just bring everybody down. And also, don't make everything about you. You don't have to take every situation and then turn it around and point the mirror back at yourself because you are so selfish. And Ooh, Lord. Oh, God. So, so it seems, seems obvious enough, right, that if you want joy, then maybe you shouldn't kill joy for other people. And here's what's fascinating. If you, if you stop killing joy for other people and they start to experience joy, it probably is going to be beneficial for you as well. So that, that was kind of the personal preference. I just felt like I had to get that off my chest. And I did. Um, and sometimes I'm going to kill joy, and that's really annoying. And I'm going to stop. I'm going to be better. Okay. Here's the good stuff. This one is, this is the, the sound biblical teaching on what we can do to have more joy in our lives. So, so that's what we're after. John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So what we're after, what we're pursuing is Jesus's joy being in us and our joy being made, being made full. But we have to start with what he said at the beginning. I have told you these things so that you can have joy. So if you want to have joy, you got to look at the so that, right? So that, and then it says, I have told you these things. So what are these things? Well, let's look at the two verses prior to verse 11, verse 9 and 10. Because I don't know if you know that, but 10 and 9 come before 11, and that's what would be prior to and proceed and these things, right? So this is what it says. That was too much. My simple math, I'm just telling you, that's the way it works. Verse 9 says this, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. And in verse 10, it says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So these things are two things. When he says these things, I've told you these things so that you may have this joy that, that, that it is that you're after. These things are... Abide in my love and keep my commandments. Now, this is where a lot of people checked out because we don't like rules and we don't like being told what to do. You know what all of God's commandments are? They are ways for you to live your best possible life. Everything that God asks us to do is to protect us or to propel us to the future that he has in store for us. He, he protects us from things that are destructive, and he pushes us towards things that are healthy, and yet we are so resistant so often to the commandments. Like, think about it like this. Let, let's just run through a, a little list of, let's even go to the Old Testament. Okay, don't kill your neighbor. Well, that kind of makes sense. 
Is it a better life if we're not having to worry about neighbors killing everybody? Or is it a worse life if we're having, you understand what I'm saying, right? Uh, don't envy or covet your neighbor's things. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense that if I could actually keep my eyes on what it is that I have, that it would be a lot easier to experience contentment. But if I'm looking at what everybody else has got, like social media, then, then it's a lot harder to experience. Do you understand? Like it's like the things that he asks us to do, the things that he commands us to do are ultimately for our own benefit to protect us from things that are destructive or to push us to, towards things that are healthy and good. And so the two things that we're called to do in this case are to abide in his love and to keep his commandments, to keep his commandments. If you, if you take that phrase even to keep his commandments and you kind of reduce it down to the, the very, it's called the irreducible minimum, right? If you could just put it into to one really short, quick, cute phrase. Think about what Jesus said when he was asked, what, what is the greatest commandment? Like, so we've got all of these commandments. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament that, that kind of, you know, are, are these, these guidelines for living a good, spiritual, you know, wholesome life. And so Jesus was asked, like, what is the greatest commandment? And of course, his response was, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. But he never leaves it alone, right? He always takes it to a whole nother level. And, and so what he does is, is he kind of finishes that idea with love God, but you also need to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so, so what we could do, so the greatest commandment, we need to abide in his love and to keep his commandments. If, if we reduce those commandments down to what Jesus said were the first two greatest commandments, if we want to see more joy in the world around us, if we want to see more joy in our lives, if we want our lives to be full of the joy that Jesus came to bring to us, then we simply have to love. You gotta love. And, and you know what's, what I think about, this is what I think about when I think about when Jesus said, first commandment, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm like, I'm in. That is, man, yes. That vertical relationship. God, I'm going to love you, and, and I'm going to try to do what you want me to do. And here's the thing about that relationship is, is it's a lot more difficult to hold to an account. But then he says, he kind of makes us prove it, right? So, so what he wants us to do is not just say that we love him. He wants us to demonstrate that we love him by loving our neighbor as ourself. The first one, I'm all in. The second one, I'm like, oh boy. That's, it's easier for you to love the people who cut you off in traffic. It's easier for you. I had this happen the other day. Let me just, let me be petty for a minute. Can I be petty for a minute? Now y'all are excited to be in church when I'm talking about being petty. I, we were standing in line. I was getting coffee. I was standing in line at a football game about to get coffee and a group of little girls I don't even know how, I, they could have been 50 and they would have been little girls in that moment. Uh, just kind of like walked and got in the line in front of me and I was like. I'm like, I I'll go back to jail. I'm just kidding. Sort of, right? Just kidding. So I, I, had to, I had to leave. I just left. I walked out. I'm like, if I don't, if I don't get away from this situation, it is not going to be a situation. It's hard to love people sometimes. People they do dumb things. And I know they do because I am one. I, I was thinking about this. In fact, yesterday I was thinking about, like, this is so hard to love people as we love ourselves because half the time I don't even love myself. 
half the time I'm like, what is you doing? That's how my kids say it, not what are you doing. They say, what is you doing? And, and I, I feel that when I'm like questioning, like, why, why, what, what is you doing, Chris? And it's hard for me to love myself, therefore it's hard for me to love other people. And, and this is where the proof is. This is the proof that we are loving God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. Then what happens is as, as that love grows and is fostered, then it becomes to, or it begins to overflow into our relationships with other people. If, if I love, this is First John, it says it like this. And this is for all those super religious people who, who like they go to church all the time. They could tell you all the verses and they could sing all the songs, but they're as mean as a rattlesnake. In 1 John, it says, how can you say that you love God who you haven't seen when you don't even love people who you do see? I was like, okay, okay. My, my, my oldest son, that, that was always like his default. He's like, okay, okay. There was one time we were in a store, completely unrelated, and, and a lady walks in. We're in a waiting room for tires or something. A lady walks in, and she's all tatted up. Tavian's like six, seven. He's like, okay. That girl got a lot of tattoos out loud. Okay. How can you say that you love God who, who you haven't seen face to face yet when you don't even love the people who are right in front of you? How can you say that you want to, to celebrate the joy that Jesus came to bring into the world when you're not even loving people and and by virtue of loving them, you're bringing more joy into their life and more joy into your own life. If we want to bring joy to the world, I think we can. And I think we do that by loving one another. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we're so thankful for everything that you've done for us. We're so thankful, God, that you came to the earth. God, these, these humble circumstances so that we could never say, God, that, that you don't understand us. You came, you experienced all of the, the gamut of the human emotions and condition. So you're a God who understands us. You are a God who is with us. And we're so thankful for that. God, we're, we're even more thankful for the fact that you have decided to give to us, to impart to us this gift of joy. God, that you want your joy to be in us so that our joy can be full, that it can overflow. God, I, I believe according to your word that we accomplish this by simply loving each other, loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. God, help us to be people who walk in the joy that was set before them as you walked in the joy that was set before you. Help us to be people who don't allow our circumstances to determine our, our emotional condition or the way that we feel about you, ourselves, or the life that you've given us. God, help us to make those decisions on the front end, that you are good, that you are God, that you are for us, you are with us, that nothing can separate us, neither height nor depth, nor angel nor demon, nor any other created thing. God, that you are creator and we are created and we humble ourselves we accept that position we celebrate you we worship you as savior and lord and god help us to experience 
your joy as a result of that belief. And it's in your incredible name we pray and everybody said, amen.